This is Steve Carroll, and you're listening to the Basic Podcast. Today we're going to switch it up and talk about testicular pain. While most causes of testicular pain are benign, we need to be on the lookout for the serious causes that can lead to infertility and loss of the testicle if not treated in a timely manner. We'll go over the specific questions to ask, how to do a rapid and focused exam, and how to diagnose and treat this chief complaint appropriately. While sexually transmitted infections can cause testicular pain, we won't be focused on the entire realm of STIs in this episode, because that is a whole episode unto itself. As always, this podcast doesn't represent the views and opinions of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. So let's get started. I'm going to let you know one thing up front about treating patients with testicular pain. The most important part about this whole process is to make sure that we rule out testicular torsion. I'll talk more about torsion in a little bit, but the first thing we have to do is to make sure that these patients don't wait around for a long time before they are seen. Usually the nurses and techs are good about grabbing us when they see a patient with testicular pain who is in a lot of distress because they know to be worried about torsion as well. However, don't let that patient with testicular pain sit out in the triage area for a long time because by the time they get back to see you, it may be too late and they may lose their testicle or lose their fertility. From a legal standpoint, missing a torsion or delaying care on one can be a big deal, so let's make sure to get it right. After I look at the chart and look at the vitals, the first thing I do is to go into the room and look at the patient. If the patient is sitting up in no apparent distress, then we can take the time to take a breath and get the full history. This doesn't mean that we should take forever, just that we don't need to move with as much urgency. While torsion can still present in patients who look like they aren't in a lot of pain, if the patient isn't doubled over from their testicular pain, then we can take the time to get a good history and physical. Let's talk about the management of this non-urgent patient first. Then we will go into the management of a patient with testicular pain who is in a lot of distress or whom you have a high suspicion for torsion. Let's talk a little bit about the usual age for torsion. This is a diagnosis that you have to consider in male patients of just about any age with testicular pain, but there are a few peaks in incidence. The first peak is in neonates, so consider torsion for any male infant who is not consolable or is crying a lot. The next peak is around age 14, but 38% of patients in one series were over the age of 21, so this is not just a disease of teenage boys. Let's talk briefly about how and why torsion happens. Torsion usually happens because the patient has what is known as a bell clapper deformity. This is a classic pimp question, and you'll look good if you can spit out that term, but what do we mean by bell clapper deformity? This is when the anterior portion of the testicle is not anchored to the scrotum. This allows the testicle to move freely in the scrotum and allows it to twist off its blood supply. This leads to decreased blood flow to the testicle and tissue ischemia. So now you have a patient with a chief complaint of testicular pain, and your first impression of them is that they are not in a lot of distress. Take special note of the triage vitals to see about any signs of fever. Start by asking your usual OPQRST questions about the pain. Ask the patient when the pain started, what they were doing when it started, what makes it better or worse, what it feels like, does it radiate anywhere, and how severe is it. Also find out if the onset was sudden or if it was more gradual. In addition, find out if the pain is constant or if it waxes and wanes. Ask if the pain ever goes away completely. 
Don't discount torsion if the pain goes away, then comes back. Patients can tors and detours without realizing it. Probably the most important part of the history is when the pain started and what the patient was doing when the pain started. Before we go any further, let me give one little pearl here about torsion. A lot of students think that you need some sort of direct major trauma to the testicle to cause torsion, but this is not the case at all. A sizable percentage of patients with torsion will have no memory of direct trauma, and they may have even been asleep when it happened. The reason why it can happen during sleep is that the cremaster muscles can contract strongly during REM sleep and cause torsion. You can even get torsion from, let's say, readjusting yourself. The guys out there know what I mean by that. There have even been a few cases of torsion caused by the use of a taser device. So don't blow off a patient who looks like torsion just because they didn't have any direct testicular trauma. Find out what the patient was doing when the pain started, but don't discount a minor or non-existent mechanism. Once you find out all you need to know about the pain, make sure to do a brief review of systems focused on fever, abdominal pain, urinary pain, frequency, or urgency. Ask if the patient has any penile discharge, rashes, lesions, or rectal pain. Be sure to get a good past medical history, past surgical history, and address the patient's medications and allergy list. The next thing to do is to do a good head-to-toe exam. Remember that this is a patient whom our suspicion for torsion is not that high. We'll talk about those high-risk patients in just a second. Make sure not to miss any big exam findings. Make sure to fully examine the abdomen and palpate for any tenderness, rebound, guarding, or peritoneal signs. Sometimes kidney stones can refer pain to the testicle, so make sure to check for any CVA tenderness. Just as a reminder, remember back in the abdominal pain episode that I said that you need to check all of your male patients for torsion who have abdominal pain. The reverse of this is true as well. Make sure to do a good exam of the abdomen on the patient with testicular pain. Stranger things have happened than an appy that presented it as testicular pain. The next step is to examine the GU area. Before you do the penile and testicular exam, make sure to examine the groin area. Make sure to have the patient point using one finger to exactly where the pain is. You may be surprised that some patients will say they are having testicular pain, but it is really inguinal pain when you examine them. Check the groin area for swelling, lesions, and hernias. Once you have assessed the groin area, move on to the penile and testicular exam. It is usually best to have the patient stand up to do the testicular exam, but if they are in a ton of pain, then you can do the exam with them laying supine, but it's really better to have the patient stand up instead. The first thing to check is the orientation of each testicle. We usually refer to this as a testicular lie. Check to see that each testicle is vertical. If one is crooked or at an angle, this is the strongest predictor of torsion. Next, check the cremasteric reflex. Take your gloved finger and drag it up the patient's inner thigh. A normal response is to see the testicle slightly retract superiorly. You will also see the skin of the scrotum move with it. If you have an absent cremasteric reflex on one side, this strongly suggests torsion as well. Next, make sure to palpate each testicle individually. Try starting with the unaffected testicle so the patient doesn't flinch right away. This may help you get a better exam if they are less nervous about it. Make sure to palpate the entire testicle, 
and assess for any irregular shape or masses, and to see if one appears more swollen than the other. Make sure to press on the posterior portion and assess for the tenderness. The epididymis is in the posterior part of the testicle, about two-thirds of the way down. If the patient only has tenderness here, then this can suggest epididymitis. Finally, for completeness sake, you can look for Prenn's sign, that's P-R-E-H-N apostrophe S. This is done by elevating the testicles and seeing if this decreases the patient's pain. Lifting up the testicles decreases the stretch on the epididymis. If this test is positive, it can suggest epididymitis instead of torsion, but do not, I repeat, do not rely solely on this test to distinguish epididymitis from torsion. Up to 30% of patients with confirmed torsion can have a positive Prenn sign, so don't use this as your sole determining factor. However, your attending may ask about it, so know how to do this part of the exam. It's just one more data point for you to get during your exam. Once you have examined and palpated the testicles, take a look at the scrotum. Make sure that each side is symmetric and look for hydrocele's and varicocele's. Hydrocele's will appear as a fluid collection inside the scrotum. If the hydrocele is large enough, the scrotum will appear noticeably larger on the affected side. A varicocele is when the veins of the scrotum are dilated, which can cause dull, aching testicular pain. You may actually be able to see the dilated veins on the surface of the scrotum. As far as the exam for varicocele, this is classically described as a bag of worms on palpation. Once you have examined the testicles, make sure to do the rest of the GU exam. Check for any penile discharge, swelling, tenderness, or lesions. Also make sure to check for any inguinal hernias. There's a lot more to talk about here in regards to hernias and sexually transmitted infections, but today we're just focusing on testicular pain. Now let's talk about the flip side. Before, we were talking about a patient in not a lab distress with a low suspicion for torsion. Now let's talk about the patient with testicular pain in a lot of distress with a good story for torsion. This is a patient that we need to move quickly on. The analogy here is similar to acute MIs. In acute MIs, time is heart muscle. Well, with torsion, time is testicle. If a patient has testicular torsion, then they need to get it untorsed as soon as possible because the longer it stays torsed, the higher the probability of losing the testicle. At 6 hours of ischemic time, the salvage rate is between 85 and 97%, but some studies have shown a drop-off in salvage rates as quickly as 4 hours. There can be irreversible damage at 12 hours of ischemic time, and the salvage rate drops to only 10% at the 24-hour mark. Not every patient will present to us as soon as the pain starts, so we may already be behind the 8-ball. So if you have a patient in whom you strongly suspect torsion, you need to act as quickly as you would to get a patient with a STEMI to the cath lab. The textbook answer here is that torsion is a clinical diagnosis, and your first call should be to the urologist to have them come in for surgical reduction. This goes back to the whole time is testicle theory, so you don't want to waste time with getting the urologist down to the ER or coming in from home. However, in the real world, most urologists really want to have an ultrasound before they operate, and the reality is that no urologist can be instantly available in the ED. So what really happens is that you make simultaneous phone calls to the urologist 
and the ultrasound tech. Talk with the ultrasound tech and make sure they know that you have a high suspicion for torsion and to bump your patient to the front of the line for ultrasound. Push the patient's stretcher over to radiology yourself if you have to. If you are at an institution with lots of fellowship-trained ultrasound people in the ED, then they may be very comfortable with doing a bedside ultrasound for torsion. You can try doing a bedside ultrasound to confirm the diagnosis if it doesn't waste any time getting the patient a formal ultrasound or getting examined by the urologist. Let me take a step back and emphasize an important point. You really should get an ultrasound on just about every patient who presents to the ED with testicular pain. No matter how minor the pain is, and no matter how classic the presentation is for something non-serious like epididymitis, the patient should get a testicular ultrasound. Torsion is a diagnosis that we cannot miss, so it's best for the patient and best for us if we get an ultrasound on every patient with testicular pain. Now let me make one thing clear about ultrasound for testicular torsion. While ultrasound is very sensitive and very specific for torsion and can suggest other diagnoses, ultrasound can have false negatives for torsion. This means that the ultrasound will show normal blood flow to the testicle when there is actually torsion. The most cited reason for this phenomenon is that the patient is having torsion and detorsion, and at the moment the ultrasound is obtained, the patient happens to be detorsed. So if you still have a high clinical suspicion for torsion and the ultrasound is negative, then the patient should still be evaluated by a urologist and taken to the OR if necessary. The literature on this is clear. The morbidity from an unnecessary trip to the OR is a lot less than the morbidity from missing a true torsion. Just like with appendicitis, if you don't have at least a few false negatives, then you probably aren't taking enough people to the OR who need to go. Finally, make sure to give your patient good pain control. If you want to see any guy get nervous, tell them what torsion is. It is painful, and it needs good pain control. Give the patient IV pain control with fentanyl, morphine, or Dilaudid. Your choice, but be aggressive with the dosing. You probably don't want to completely snow the patient, so you can still examine them and find out if they're still having pain, but there is no reason to have them writhing in pain on the stretcher. Let's review all of that real quickly. Be sure to rapidly assess the patient when you enter the room. If they are in a lot of distress, move quickly to get a focused exam, then call the urologist and the ultrasound tech at the same time. The big age groups for torsion is the newborn period and around age 14, but about a third of patients with torsion are over the age of 21. Most torsion happens due to a bell clapper deformity, where the testicle is not anchored anteriorly to the scrotum. To get a good history on a patient with testicular pain, ask the patient when the pain started, what they were doing when the pain started, and where exactly they are having pain. Does the pain wax and wane, or is it there constantly? Ask about any associated fevers or urinary symptoms. Keep in mind that you don't need any history of direct trauma or major mechanism to have torsion, and it can occur during sleep. For the exam, make sure to examine the abdomen and back to make sure that you don't miss anything. Try to get the patient to stand up to do the GU exam. Check for hernias, then check the lie of each testicle. If one is tilting to the side, then this is a strong sign of torsion. Check the cremaster reflex 
by dragging your finger up the thigh. If the scrotum doesn't retract, then this is also a strong sign of torsion. Find exactly where the patient is tender on their testicle. Patients with epididymitis are usually tender only on the posterior portion of their testicle. Prenn's sign is relief of pain with testicular elevation and classically suggests epididymitis, but don't be fooled because this sign may be positive in patients with torsion. Examine for hydrocele's and varicoceles. Get an ultrasound in every patient with testicular pain because you don't want to miss torsion. If the patient is in a lot of distress and or you strongly suspect torsion, call the ultrasound tech on one line and the urologist on the other and get them to the ED ASAP to examine the patient. Time is testicle, so don't delay in treating these patients. Finally, don't neglect the pain control in these patients using whatever IV opioid you are comfortable with. Now that we have covered torsion pretty well, let's talk about the rest of the differential diagnosis for testicular pain. The first on the list is epididymitis. This diagnosis will probably be the most common final diagnosis in all patients who present to the ED with testicular pain. Epididymitis is an inflammation of the epididymis that can be caused either by an infection and rarely sterile urine reflux into the epididymis. The pain from epididymitis can come on very suddenly and can mimic the pain of torsion, or it can be pain that has come on gradually and may be present for days to weeks before the patient seeks evaluation. These patients will usually have very localized pain and tenderness on the posterior part of their testicle in the location of the epididymis. In general, we talk about epididymitis being caused by gonorrhea or chlamydia in younger males and enteric organisms like E. coli in older males. While that is classically the board answer on the exams, the reality is that there is a lot of overlap and you can't say that above a certain age is caused by an STI while over a certain age is caused by enteric organisms. You should check a urine on these patients to screen for UTIs and do a swab for GC and chlamydia based on your clinical suspicion. You'll get an ultrasound like you usually do in these patients, and if it shows increased blood flow to the epididymis with normal blood flow to the testicles, then this is diagnostic for epididymitis. Just keep in mind what we said before about torsion being a clinical diagnosis. So get emergent urology consultation if the history suggests torsion, even if the ultrasound is negative. Epididymitis is treated with pain control, scrotal support, and antibiotics. Around-the-clock ibuprofen usually works well for pain. 400 to 800 milligrams of ibuprofen every 8 hours usually works well. You should also give the patient a limited amount of Percocet or Vicodin to use if the pain really flares up. For the international listeners out there, that's hydrocodone or oxycodone. You can tell the patient to wear a jock strap or two pairs of tidy whiteies underwear that will support the scrotum and provide pain relief. As far as antibiotics, if you are suspecting STIs, then treat with rocephin or ceftriaxone, 250 mg IM, and doxycycline, 100 mg PO, twice a day for 10 days. For older patients or patients whom you don't suspect STIs, give them levaquin or levofloxacin, 500 mg daily for 10 days. If it is a toss-up between the two possible causes, then there's nothing wrong with giving the patient all three, rocephin, doxycycline, and levaquin, 
to cover all your bases. Leviquin provides good p- tissue penetration into the epididymis and good gram-negative coverage that will cover enterics like E. coli. Next is torsion of the testicular appendage. So this is another diagnosis that can mimic torsion. This is when the testicular appendage twists on itself and causes pain. This part of the testicle is like the appendix in the abdomen because you don't need this part of your testicle for it to function normally. This small area will twist on itself and cause pain, but it will eventually degenerate and break down on its own. In fact, some urologists suggest that what we call epididymitis a lot of times on ultrasound is actually torsion of the testicular appendage. This is because the two structures are so close together, and epididymitis is diagnosed by increased blood flow to the epididymis, which is also seen with torsion of the testicular appendage. The classic sign that you will see on tests is the blue dot sign, which is a small, darkish spot on the scrotum near the epididymis on the posterior aspect of the testicle. We talked a little bit about hydrocele and varicocele, and there really isn't anything more to know about those conditions as far as ED management. These patients should get follow-up with their PCP or urologist for further management. One thing to keep in mind is that radiologists may call a trace hydrocele on an ultrasound, but this is not concerning because just about every male has at least a little bit of fluid inside the scrotum. There are a few other conditions to keep in mind in regards to testicular pain. Most of them can be diagnosed on an ultrasound because they take up space in the scrotum. The two biggest things we need to look for are testicular masses and inguinal hernias. Sometimes the diagnosis can be made from just looking at the testicle, especially in the case of an inguinal hernia that goes into the scrotum, but sometimes it is a little more subtle. This is where an ultrasound is helpful because hernias and masses will both show up on ultrasound. Testicular masses should have at least urgent follow-up with the urologist, but at an academic center, the urologist may prefer to see these patients in the ED. If you are working up a testicular mass, they may ask you for screening labs for cancer, such as a quantitative beta-HCG, alpha-fetoprotein, and LDH. You won't get some of these tests back right away, but the beta-HCG is very helpful in differentiating benign masses from more aggressive ones. For inguinal hernias, the most important thing to address is whether the hernia is reducible or not. If the hernia slides freely into and out of the scrotum or the abdominal wall, then this is not an emergency and can be fixed on a routine basis by a general surgeon. If the hernia can't be reduced, then this is called an incarcerated hernia. This means that the hernia is in the scrotum or trapped in the abdominal wall, but won't come out of it. The next step is a strangulated hernia, which happens when an incarcerated hernia twists off on itself. This is a surgical emergency. If the hernia cannot be reduced or has been in the testicle or the abdominal wall for a long time, then this can be an emergent surgical issue. You can try giving the patient pain control and tilting the patient's head down on the bed so it can try to reduce, but don't do this if the bowel has been to the scrotum or the abdominal wall for more than four hours. This can be a tough call to make between an incarcerated and strangulated hernia, and different surgeons may have different preferences on how aggressively they will try to reduce an incarcerated hernia. In the case of any non-reducible hernia, get your surgeon on board and come up with a plan. There are other causes of testicular pain that we can briefly talk about. 
One additional thing on the differential is mumps, which can cause testicular pain and swelling. This disease has mostly been wiped out by vaccinations, but if you have an unvaccinated child with a swollen testicle and flu-like symptoms, then this can suggest mumps. There is no specific treatment for this, just supportive care. One last diagnosis to be aware of is Fournier's gangrene. This is an aggressive infection that you will see mostly in immunocompromised patients and those with diabetes. This is a deep tissue infection of the groin and perineal area that can progress quickly and can have a high mortality from sepsis. If you see any discoloration of the skin, crepitus, or tenderness of the GU area in an immunocompromised or diabetic patient, then get antibiotics on board, get a stat CT of the abdomen and pelvis with IV contrast, and get an emergent surgical consult. These patients need to be taken rapidly to the OR for surgical debridement for definitive treatment. As far as antibiotics, good coverage includes zosin and clindamycin. For the international listeners, zosin is the brand name for piperacillin tazobactam. Now let's talk briefly about one treatment for torsion that you may need to implement in the ED. Let's say that you've diagnosed torsion, but the urologist is an hour away and the patient is already at the 6-hour mark. That extra hour of delay may cause the patient to lose their testicle. In this case, you may want to attempt manual detorsion in the ED. Some argue that you should try this on every patient, but if they can go quickly to the OR, then I don't think that manual detorsion is necessary. The phrase you will hear about this is to open the book, and you'll hear people throw this term around, but what does it actually mean? The phrase open the book is to help you remember that to detours a testicle, you rotate it towards the ipsilateral thigh. Picture this. Let's say that the patient has a torus testicle on the left side. In order to detours the left testicle, you'll want to rotate the testicle towards the left thigh. For the right testicle, you'll rotate that one towards the right thigh. So if you're looking at the patient and rotate your hands in the direction towards the ipsilateral thigh, you can imagine that it looks like you're opening a book. However, things are more complicated than just opening the book. This detorsion method will work if the testicle has twisted medially, but one study of surgically confirmed torsions showed that 30% of children had lateral torsion, so torsion in the other direction. So if you tried to open the book, this would make that torsion worse. Also, keep in mind that the testicle may be twisted more than 180 degrees, so you may need several rotations to detours the patient. The patient can have torsion anywhere from 180 to 720 degrees. The way you know that the detorsion has worked is that the patient has a relief of their pain. Unfortunately, this means that you can't knock the patient completely out to detours them because then you can't tell if you are doing better or worse. Give the patient some pain control, but don't snow them too much or you won't know if the detorsion is working or not. If you are successful in detorsing the patient, you should get a repeat ultrasound to confirm blood flow. The patient will still need to go to the OR to have the testicle sutured down so the patient doesn't have torsion in the future, but that becomes an urgent operation instead of an emergent one. So let's go over the big points before we wrap this up. Remember that torsion is the number one diagnosis that we have to rule out in any patient with testicular pain. Torsion can occur 
with or without trauma, and can happen during sleep. Physical exam findings that suggest torsion are an abnormal lie of the testicle and a lack of a cremasteric reflex. If the patient is in a lot of distress and or has a history consistent with torsion, then don't waste time. Call the ultrasound tech and the urologist at the same time. Get an ultrasound on every patient with testicular pain because it will help us diagnose torsion and may help us chase down other causes. Remember that torsion is a clinical diagnosis. If the ultrasound is negative, but the history and physical are consistent with torsion, then the patient may still need to go to the OR for exploration. Epididymitis is probably the most common diagnosis in ED patients with testicular pain. These patients have pain and tenderness on the posterior aspect of their testicle. This is treated with pain control, scrotal support, and antibiotics. Torsion of the testicular appendage is a benign diagnosis that may be indistinguishable from epididymitis, so treat them pretty much the same. Make sure to examine the patient for hernias and call a surgeon if the hernia can't be reduced. If you diagnose torsion and the patient has had pain for a long time or your urologist is far away, then you may have to attempt manual detorsion. This procedure is called opening the book, which is where you rotate the affected testicle towards the ipsilateral thigh. You'll know you're doing it right if the patient has a relief of their pain. If the pain gets worse, then you are going the wrong direction, which may happen about 30% of the time. Don't knock the patient out all the way so you know if the patient's pain is better or worse. Be on the lookout for Fournier's gangrene, which is a deep space groin infection seen in the immunocompromised and diabetics. These patients need broad-spectrum antibiotics and emergent surgical debridement. That's all I have for testicular pain. As always, email me with your questions and comments. Until next time, this is Steve Carroll for the EM Basic Podcast, signing off.